from the grounds of the UA Little Rock campus. Welcome to another edition of KUAR's Week in Review podcast. Thanks a lot for joining us this time around. Particularly, I'm Jacob Kaufman, the host today. It's pretty lonely in the studio, though. Michael and Chris are both taking an extended weekend. I seem to have missed the memo, so I'm here with you guys. But though, don't worry, podcast fans. They've pre-recorded a segment on the governor's tax cut proposals and higher education funding changes, as well as voter ID. We'll get to that a little bit later. But first, legislation to ban a procedure used in 18% of Arkansas abortions is signed into law. Arkansans react to President Trump's executive orders pen on immigration, pipelines, and trade. Some light appears between the state GOP leaders and the president. UA Little Rock, a new name and a new team for a past basketball star. The week that was, next. At the end of this week, Governor Asa Hutchinson, Republican as promised, when in a when a bill to ban a common second trimester abortion procedure known as dilation and evacuation DNE was passed by the state Senate, sent to his desk, Governor Asa Hutchinson promptly signed that into law. It's a very common form of second trimester abortion. The state health agencies say it amounts to about 18% of abortions that were uh, they were had in Arkansas during the last year. Not a lot of surprises. Republicans control everything in the state legislature. Easily passed. I watched the debate in the Senate and three Democrats from South Arkansas, who are normally uh, for restricting abortion rights, joined in with the Republican cause on this. Here's State Senator David Sanders, a Republican from Little Rock, explaining why he thinks this, per- this particular procedure is uh, egregious. This bill does exactly what it says it will do, and that is to outlaw a uh, what is a gruesome procedure in terms of how abortion is applied currently in the state. Uh, Sanders went on to try to say that he's not trying to eliminate abortion, even though he personally believes that abortion Roe v. Wade should be overturned. He noted that uh, for this particular DNE procedure for second trimester abortions, that many Western industrialized countries like the UK and Norway they don't allow this particular procedure to be used. Uh, Sanders, though, he did sort of acknowledge that uh, maybe sometimes the rhetoric of the right doesn't focus enough on the well-being of the mother in this situation. A lot of times I think people on our side of the issue tend to play up the life of the child at times to, the, um, to ignoring the life of, of the mother. And I, I don't think that's right. I think, I, think, I think both have to be taken into consideration. So it's you know, a little bit of an odd admission in a way for him to say that, very candid for him to say. Uh, Senator Sanders used to be a journalist, a reporter in a past life before he took to the political arena for advocacy. And he's, he, during his remarks on the Senate floor, he said that he has felt some agony personally because he witnessed an abortion for a column he was writing one time. State Senator Joyce Elliott, a Democrat, uh, she p- jumped up to ask a question uh, sort of suggesting your agony, Senator Sanders, was nothing compared to the woman and the family involved in that abortion that you witnessed. And she suggested that passing this kind of bill is disrespecting the agony of those families who want to make decisions with their doctors without the state legislature interfering. Don't have any good audio of State Senator Joyce Elliott or her colleague Linda Chesterfield, another Democrat from Little Rock, who really raised most of the good questions on the Senate floor. Unfortunately, they opted not to use any microphones and just shouted out, so no good audio of that. But Will Bond, another Democrat from Little Rock, these are three of the six people in total that voted against the abortion restriction. He got up to the floor, he used the microphone. He noticed that uh, although Sanders might say he cares about 
the well-being of the mother. This bill only has exceptions for the health of the mother, not some other exceptions you normally see with these kind of bills. This bill does not include any exception for rape or incest. Does not include any exception for rape or incest. Bond, who's in his first term in the Senate, he used to be back in the House before my time, said there's some other problems with it he, he saw. The bill appears to allow litigation amongst family members, a spouse to file for injunctive of relief against a provider and, and another spouse who might be going to attempt an abortion. Oh, so despite those objections from Little Rock Democrats, the bill easily passed comfortable margins, uh, 25 to 6, I believe, in the 35-member body. And a kind of interesting side note, the House sponsor of this, the man who put the bill forward, Andy Mayberry, he just got reelected. Uh, his wife, Julie Mayberry, held his seat in the previous session, and she also passed some bills to help restrict abortion access in Arkansas. This appears to be headed toward a court challenge. It has that's, it's had that fate rather in other states, including West Virginia and Mississippi. And now that we've got some of these state legislative things out of the way, like the abortion restrictions, the SEC primary date, and medical marijuana efforts, let's turn it over to uh, Chris and Michael. Chris Hickey, Michael Hiblin, they recorded a segment earlier on some other state legislative issues like the voter ID law. So let's take a listen to their segment here. Yeah, well, uh, Jacob, uh, one big story this week, the uh, tax cut. The governor got what he wanted here, his uh, $50 million tax cut plan one approval in the House and Senate on Monday. Uh, as Chris and I record this segment of the podcast Thursday evening, uh, still awaiting a final approval of the uh, bills, but uh, looks like uh, the governor's uh, pretty much got what he wanted. And uh, before the vote in the uh, Senate on Monday, uh, Senator Jim Hendren told his colleagues that this will save money for about 660,000 Arkansans. And all of those are people who are making eight, nine, ten, eleven dollars per hour. It's the people who are working as waiter, waiters and waitresses, the people who are working uh, in factory jobs. It's the entry-level workers. It's the people. It's the college kids who have jobs. It's a lot of these people who do, who work hard every day. And I think it's fair and appropriate that we look at these people before we consider those that are up on the upper end of the income scale. And no uh, real uh, opposition. Uh, there we didn't really have uh, much debate, and the uh, Senate ended up uh, approving the bill 33 to 0. Then, a short time later, uh, the House uh, took up this proposal, getting a brief statement from uh, the sponsor there, uh, Representative Matthew uh, Pitch, uh, Republican of Fort Smith. We're sent here to do the best we can for the citizens of Arkansas. This tax bill gets 1,346,000 Arkansans, taxpayers, a tax cut in the last 25 months. I appreciate a good vote. And that was uh, pretty much the debate there. Uh, the numbers he was incorporating uh, there also include the uh, people who were impacted by uh, Governor Hutchinson's uh, tax proposal from two years ago. Uh, that more addressing the uh, middle class this one more focused on uh, lower income Arkansans. Uh, some Republicans wanted deeper tax cuts, and to win their support, the proposal includes creation of a 16 member legislative task force that would uh, recommend comprehensive tax code changes uh, in the fall of uh, 2018. But, uh, Chris, meanwhile, we had this uh, competing 
uh, tax cut proposal, a $40 million earned income tax credit from uh, Democratic Representative Warwick Sabin, who sent these uh, could have worked uh, well together, uh, and he did apparently uh, meet with the governor Monday afternoon. He had been scheduled to uh, introduce his bill that afternoon, but uh, ended up uh, putting a little bit of a delay there so we could meet with the governor. But then on uh, Tuesday, uh, we got word that uh, apparently there was not going to be any kind of uh, compromise, uh, but he still went ahead and uh, presented his uh, proposal Tuesday. Yeah, as you mentioned, his proposal for the earned income tax credit was supposed to cost the state or is projected to cost the state about $40 million in comparison to the governor's plan, which would cost the state about $50 million. Although uh, Sabin's argument was that the earned income tax credit was a more targeted approach uh, to these low-income Arkansans. It works on a formula um, that's based on one's income to a certain level and also the number of children you have. It's kind of a tax refund that you get um, after you uh, file taxes. Whereas the governor's plan is a cut in the marginal rate for those making up to $21,000 a year. Saban is a Democrat, as we mentioned. All, pretty much every Democrat, nearly every Democrat in the House um, and a few in the Senate also supported this. It did have some bipartisan support. Uh, Saban's bill was co-sponsored in the Senate by Republican Senator Jake Files, who's also the chairman of the Revenue and Taxation Committee there. But as you mentioned, it kind of fell short uh, in terms of votes, uh, mainly along party lines. Uh, It was handily rejected, I think was the word the Associated Press used um, in describing how the vote went down on Tuesday. Um, As you mentioned, uh, Sabin had hoped for a compromise. Obviously, the state couldn't afford to pass both a $40 and a $50 million tax uh, relief legislation. But, um, you know, Sabin was really pushing hard for this. And here's kind of his closing uh, testimony or or, uh, when he was speaking for the bill. This is how he closed for it uh, on the House floor. If you consider what we're trying to do with a policy like this, that we're trying to move people out of poverty, that we're trying to incentivize them to work, that we're trying to reduce dependence on social services, and we're trying to stimulate the economy in a way that's proven, in a way that's happened over decades, in a way that other states across the country have enacted and found success with. Why wouldn't we do that for the state of Arkansas? So you can hear he's kind of impassioned, and in fact, about 20, well, not about, exactly 26 other states and the District of Columbia have introduced some form of an earned income income tax credit Um, on the state-based level. There is a federal earned income tax credit. Some uh, opponents of the bill had argued that, well, with this tax reform legislative task force that's going to be started up with the governor's um, proposal, uh, this EITC will be uh, something that can be considered. That was uh, the argument of uh, State Representative Charlie Collins, who's a kind of a big fiscal hawk in the in the legislature and likes to cut taxes, and, um, and is also on the House uh, Revenue and Taxation Committee. Uh, he spoke against the bill, uh, saying, "You know, it's not a not a bad idea, but 
you know, let's take it up in a, or, you know, let's study it in a couple of years, um, over the next couple of years with this uh, task force, which is probably not what a lot of the Democrats wanted to hear, but, um, you know, that's kind of the reality of the, and uh, let's finish the, off the podcast with something kind of fun and kind of nice. Yeah, Some of you basketball fans might recall in, this sound. In both chambers. Starting to try to eat the clock. Higgins. That's it to go. Six straight points for the Trojans. This is Little Rock versus Purdue in last year's NCAA tournament. Higgins, their leading scorer. Following the... At the end of the Trojans' successful NCAA tournament victory, the first victory in a number of decades, they went on to defeat Purdue in overtime. Thanks a lot to Josh Hagen. So we're here right now. How long it takes to do so? How many of those graduates then get jobs in the free field and complete or maybe complete? So, well, I didn't quite get the timing right. It's the end of the game. UAL is hitting a string of three points, sent him to overtime. The news here, though, is that Josh Hagen's first of all, University of Arkansas Little Rock. Always known as UALR, is now rebranded as UA Little Rock. Really about the goal here of this change. It's moving all of Arkansas ahead in all groups of people, especially those who represent the biggest gap there. So our underrepresented minorities are. There we go. Josh Hagen's finally sends us to overtime in that NCAA game last March. But Hagen's big claim to fame is he's moving on to the NBA's developmental league, which is like minor leagues for baseball, but it's for the NBA. It's the NBA. And he moves on from He's playing in Bosnia, Herzegovina, on the Sarajevo team. Eastern Europe uh, uh, has had a lot of good uh, basketball players actually come to the NBA in recent years. So he's moving on to the D-League's team, uh, the main Red Claws. Uh, They're affiliated with the Boston Celtics. So we'll follow his career. Of course, uh, Derek Fisher went on to win five uh, NBA championships, most notably with the Lakers. He's got to be... But University you did Arkansas, have uh, some Rocks, members of the most player of all time. We'll see how Josh Hagens uh, does. He's playing pro basketball, not quite at the NBA level, but still uh, professional play a, basketball. A little bit of uh, here from all right, uh, that was the week that was John for KUAR's Week in Review podcast. Thanks for sharing uh, your time with me. It was pretty lonely in the studio without uh, Michael and Chris with me this time. But it wasn't so lonely since I knew you were listening. Thanks for listening. This is KUAR's Week in Review podcast by KUAR Public Radio. We're supported by listeners like you, UA Little Rock, and UAMS, though we're editorially independent. Have a good week. And fairness, especially when you're trying to uplift everybody in the state. And the other concern that I have is somehow or another here, we, we are favoring college education in four years when 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 several models now exist that show that four years are not necessary to be very successful. And I bring to your attention Zuckerberg and Gates, uh, who, who have outachieved almost everybody without four years of college. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg there, Bill Gates, that's who he uh, is referring to, suggesting basically you don't always have to have a, a college degree or necessarily have it completed in a a timely manner, but really just concerned that uh, for people who don't leave uh, smaller communities, you know, if you're uh, if you can't leave Monticello to go up to a big school like Jonesboro or Fayetteville, and you uh, go there to uh, community college in Monticello, suggesting that these uh, smaller colleges in the state will be uh, negatively impacted. He also uh, repeatedly questioned uh, assertions made about the bill by uh, Director Markham, uh, as well as the uh, sponsor 
Representative Mark Lowry of uh, Maumel, uh, and just said uh, it's a problem bringing fairness and equality in this way. Uh, another concern came from uh, Representative Jenna Della Rosa, Republican of Rogers, who was concerned that at this point this is pretty much a shell bill. Uh, specifics of the funding formula will really be defined later. And uh, she wanted to get some uh, assurances that uh, this panel will uh, actually get a say. Uh, uh, asking uh, here. Can I get your commitment that this education committee will see this final model before it goes into effect? Because that's my issue here is that we are handing this off and it's going to go through someone else. And uh, the Markham worked to offer some reassurances saying that, uh, well, this is how all funding bills, even before this, uh, have been handled for higher uh, education uh, funding, and that uh, it would come back to the Arkansas Legislative Council before uh, getting final approval. They opened it up for uh, public comment and uh, only had uh, one person uh, get up and uh, speak about this, and uh, she comes from a community uh, just outside of uh, Pine Bluff, uh, her name is uh, Annie Bryant. From what I understand, this bill is going to lead to a segregation and a grouping of people who look like me, who live in communities like my community, into uh, certain universities in certain areas who may not be as have the same amount of resources and as as others. But with a voice vote, the uh, measure. Uh, was passed out of the House Education Committee to go to the full House. Uh, still has not been uh, addressed yet uh, in the Senate, but uh, that's to uh, come next. Uh, but meanwhile, Chris, uh, another big bill, uh, voter ID, uh, contentious matter that uh, was passed, uh, got a veto from uh, then-Governor Mike Beebe, but uh, now being brought up again. Yeah, that's right. Well, in the 2013 legislature, um, a voter ID bill passed and was, as you mentioned, um, vetoed by Governor Mike Beebe. It was challenged in court by the ACLU on behalf of a couple of, um, they argued, uh, disenfranchised voters. Uh, it was struck down by the state Supreme Court uh, in 2014. Uh, Associate Justice Donald Corbin at the time wrote the majority opinion. It was a unanimous opinion. And the argument there in that opinion was that uh, the Arkansas Constitution uh, requires four things of, of voters. Um, proof of um, citizenship. A You have to be 18 years old. So that's two. You have to be registered. And... Uh, oh, and you have to reside in the state. Now, among those four qualifications, the proof of identity, which um, is how they termed uh, or the need for a photo ID, uh, that uh, is not in the Arkansas Constitution. So it was struck down along those lines, although there were three uh, concurring justices, Karen Baker, Joe Hart, and Courtney Goodson, who wrote a concurring opinion but argued that well, the constitutionality of this uh, voting 
new voting qualification uh, could be upheld if the legislature had passed uh, the bill with a two-thirds majority, which is what is needed to amend the Constitution. And so that's what um, L Mark Lowry, the state representative uh, from Maumel, who you mentioned earlier on an unrelated matter, uh, it's his bill uh, to amend the Constitution and impose this a voter ID requirement, a photo ID requirement for people who show up at the polls to um, prove their identity. He characterizes the uh, need or the requirement under his bill as um, part of the registration process rather than an added qualification um, in reference to that uh, court opinion by Justice Corbin, who's now deceased. Uh, here is Lowry explaining. This has been crafted very carefully to make sure that we're, we're not adding a qualification to voting, that we are really just clarifying the voter registration process. The other thing that I have been asked uh, or has been addressed to me consistently is that, you know, why, why am I bringing a proposal, a solution that seems to be in search of a problem? That uh, the, the general idea is that there's not widespread fraud in the electoral process and, and frankly I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that because frankly the data is difficult to collect there is no central clearinghouse uh, for fraud complaints and elect electoral uh, the electoral process so you know we really have no ability to gather that kind of empirical evidence what we do have obviously are situations of anecdotal examples and I've got to say uh, uh, that that's one of the greatest quotes I, I've heard, uh, a solution in search of a problem. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, that that is a common argument by opponents of voter ID because, like he said, there is no um, really widespread evidence of any any fraud whatsoever. Um, you know, Lowry did cite a, you know, right after that quote, he was speaking in the state agencies and governmental affairs committee in the House. Uh, he did give one anecdotal example about, you know, he had heard of a, a woman in a, a West Arkansas County who had showed up at the polls and uh, was told that she had already voted that day. Or, um, and, uh, you know, that led to um, some uh, minor controversy over there. But again, that's an isolated instance. I mean, not necessarily uh, provable or any, any studies have, you know, certainly no, um, have not shown any thing along those lines in a widespread way. But uh, Lowry did point to this um, Gallup poll from uh, this year, or last year, sorry, 2016, um, showing that American confidence in the uh, electoral process, uh, only about 66% uh, of Americans are have confidence in the integrity of elections, according to this Gallup poll, which I looked up in it. Um, they do that every year. And, um, you know, obviously that's a majority of Americans, but that was one of his reasons for putting this forward is his argument is that by uh, establishing a photo ID requirement, uh, that will preserve the integrity of elections. Um, his, uh, his bill, you know, obviously it, it, it would require a two-thirds uh, majority from uh, both chambers of the legislature. But, you know, it, it allows for, you know, driver's licenses as well as some other different kinds of photo IDs that can be used, student identification cards. Um, 
Lowry said that the Secretary of State's office still has equipment um, that was kind of a holdover from the last law that was struck down that um, uh, that can uh, that allows them to make IDs for people who need them. Um, people who are you know who run into a problem at the, at the polls under his uh, under his bill under his proposal. Uh, would be allowed to cast a provisional ballot, which could be certified by a county board of election commissioners the following week, and but it would allow, but it would uh, require those people who um, did cast those provisional ballots to show up at that meeting, and they'd have to, you know. Yeah, and what's the point in coming back? You know, the following you've got by the next right. Monday, and in most cases, you know, unless it's Florida in the presidential election two thousand, the election's been decided and it's kind of irrelevant yeah and you know the general argument by people who uh, are against uh, voter id is that you know it, it's a further restriction rather uh, on on the voting process and you know I th- there are a couple of democrats in this committee in the state agencies who voted against it and you know they uh, I think Warwick Saban was one of them, kind of made an argument along those lines. The uh, actual debate in the committee was kind of abbreviated. Uh, there's only two people to, or one each, to speak for and against the bill. Uh, one person was a representative from AARP Arkansas who spoke against the bill. Another um, uh, was uh, Jefferson County Election Commissioner Stuart Sulfur, who's uh, had his own entanglements and controversies and, and uh, electoral issues uh, over the past year or so, but we won't get into that. But um, so there are a number of people who are upset uh, after the committee because, uh, you know, they didn't get a chance to speak. Um, one, a couple of them were, you know, Rita Sklar's executive director of the ACLU of Arkansas was there, uh, as well as the ACLU of Arkansas legal director, Holly Dixon, who had kind of led the fight against the last uh, voter ID law in the courts. Um, here's uh, Dixon speaking after the meeting, and uh, her argument, or what she kind of was trying to say, in in terms of you know what her testimony would have been if had she been allowed to speak in the committee, was that this law doesn't really allow for any safeguards for those who might be potentially denied access to the polls because they don't have uh, voter IDs. If they pass this bill as written. The only evidence that will ever exist about the application of the voter fraud law, or the, excuse me, the voter ID law, will be what is left in the poll books, which are held by the individually county clerks, and no one ever goes to examine them. So in other words, there is no mechanism in this bill for the state to know who was affected, how were they affected, had, were there, was there anything nefarious behind that activity or not. There's, there's never been a provision to look at the impact on the voters or the impact on the system, and there's not one now. So basically her point is there's no way to study you know, um, how it might affect voters potentially on a, in a centralized way. Um, so that, you know, we could have that empirical data that uh, Lowry admitted that, you know, doesn't exist. Um, so uh, this passed uh, on a voice vote out of committee. It heads to the full House. And after that, you know, if it passes the full House, which 
you know, usually this is a party line vote. Democrats vote against and uh, Republicans vote for. If that's the case this time, um, Republicans should have enough majority to pass it. Yeah, and they need a two-thirds uh, vote right. here, whereas the previous one was just a, a majority. Sim- a simple majority, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson has indicated that he generally is supportive of voter ID requirements. Um, I haven't heard whether or not he specifically supports this one or not. Okay. Well, uh, with that, Jacob, we'll uh, send it back to you. I'm Michael Heplin. I'm Chris Hickey. Uh, Some other legislative news we'll get through real quick. Uh, Don't want to spend too much time and everything today. The so-called SEC primary that we had in 2016 that moved the presidential primary in Arkansas from late May to early March to join a number of other southern states, that was only a one-time thing. It had a sunset clause on it, and in the state Senate this week, it fell. It was defeated by with bipartisan support, just by the narrowest of margins, with 17 yays votes, just one more vote, 18 would have made it pass. Uh, the argument came from Democrats and Republicans that they don't really want year-long campaigning. They don't want campaigning in the winter months. They think this will lead to that. Senator Gary Stubblefield of Northwest Arkansas, Republican, uh, proposed this. He plans to bring it back next week. He thinks it makes Arkansas more relevant. Some criticism is that maybe it protects incumbents, which he happens to be. Uh, the other big uh, news boiling under the surface of the legislature this week that should pop up next week is there are a number of efforts to sort of derail the state's medical marijuana amendment that was approved by voters in November. It's a constitutional amendment, but the state legislature is allowed to change some provisions as long as they can get a two-thirds vote there. Uh, state Senator Jason Rapert of Bigelow and Conway, if you stay tuned all the way until Monday morning and morning edition on 89.1 KUAR at 6.44 and 8.44 a.m., you'll hear the full interview with Senator Rapert. But he's proposed a bill that would block this from going into effect. Instead of going into effect this summer, it would only go into effect if and when the federal government legalized medical marijuana. So he says that that's not contrary to the will of the voters. His big issue is that he thinks would be a violation of his oath of office if he helped enact a law that violates federal law. That would certainly uh, meet some court challenges. Voters were very clear in what they wanted. Governor Asa Hutchinson, who used to be the head of the Drug Enforcement Agency, certainly knows federal laws in marijuana, certainly not a fan of medical marijuana. He says, though, that voters, the will of the voters ought to be carried out in this instance. Uh, let's move on a little bit, though. Uh, we'll go to the nation's capital, President Donald Trump. It's his first week in office. We talked to a number of congressmen this week, French Hill, Rick Crawford. We also talked to the governor a little bit about this. Let's start off with Rick Crawford from the Eastern District of Arkansas. We don't hear enough about him uh, on KUAR. Uh, Crawford's been a big champion of opening up particularly and almost exclusively agricultural trade with Cuba. Uh, Donald Trump has said he will terminate the President Obama's deals with Cuba in terms of diplomatic uh, relaxations, the wet foot, dry foot policy. He hasn't commented on a lot of specifics, but he, in general, he's not in favor of opening up trade with Cuba. But Congressman Crawford believes that Donald Trump will be a good partner in trade for agriculture. Ag trade with Cuba is really kind of a separate issue. It's been something that we've worked on separate and apart from uh, the Obama administration's actions that they took unilaterally, administratively, we're trying to do something legislatively that simply lifts credit restriction for U.S. producers in, in the sale of the ag goods. Really nothing to do with the Obama administration's position or any part of the deal 
that they put together uh, with the Castro regime. Uh, that particular provision that uh, Representative Crawford, who's in his fourth term out of Jonesboro, is talking about, that lifting the embargo on those credit restrictions was always up to Congress, something the president suggested he wanted, but not within his executive order powers. So uh, another big issue having to do with Crawford and Donald Trump is uh, Trump has routinely said he will curtail immigration and he will deport millions of undocumented immigrants in America. I asked uh, Congressman Crawford, a recent Bloomberg Politics article noted that there are about a quarter of the nation's farm and agricultural workforce are undocumented immigrants. I asked Congressman Crawford in an interview earlier this week what he wants to happen to those people under a Trump presidency. Well, we've been working really hard on an H-2A repeal and, and replace program. It's called the Straw Act. It, it, it's, it's basically realigning the H-2A program, putting it under the Ag Department, mm-hmm. and allowing uh, migrant workforce to be here. Uh, and, and this is also a national security issue. You're allowing people into the country, but they need to be documented. We need to have them sign the guest book. We know they're here, and then they can go out and, and work on the farms uh, that need that labor. So keep the workers here. Don't let their families come along with them. No word on specifics from uh, President Trump, what he feels about uh, these sort of migrant worker forces or how permanent they should be or how many should be allowed. Um, Congressman French Hill of the 2nd District, uh, Congressman Crawford's colleague, uh, he's in his second term. Uh, he issued, along with uh, Representative Bruce Westerman, Steve Womack, Senator Cotton, Senator Bozeman, states six uh, Republicans, uh, the entire congressional delegation, they issued support for Donald Trump's move to revive the process for putting the Keystone XL and Dakota Access pipelines in there. French Hill and others, uh, you can check out the story at KUAR.org. They've been using the backdrop at Wellspun Tubular, a pipeline manufacturer in Little Rock, for a number of years now. There's been hundreds of miles worth of Keystone pipe laying idle in this uh, yard out by the Little Rock port. Wellspun's already been paid to make it, but they could make a little bit more money offloading it. And they've been paid to house the pipe by Keystone's uh, company, parent company this whole time as well. Uh, one last thing, though, on Donald Trump. Uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson, he's clearly wanted to make international trade, making personal trade visits to China, Cuba, all these different, Germany, uh, a hallmark of his, of his time in office. He's campaigned on it. He is the jobs governor, and he believes that personally going out to recruit businesses in an international global trade environment is paramount to sort of his legacy as governor. Uh, but he was asked uh, after a press conference in his office, uh, Chris Hickey was there, one of our reporters, about the rhetoric of protectionism from from Donald Trump, and he sort of suggested that uh, he sort of suggested that protectionism for Donald Trump is a concerning concept for him. He believes that Arkansas will thrive on global trade, and that's something we need to engage in, not shy away from. But Ace Hutchinson still obviously a big supporter of Donald Trump. And let's finish off the podcast with something kind of fun and kind of nice. Some of you basketball fans might recall this sound. Starting to try to eat the clock. Higgins gets it to go. Six straight points for the Trojans. This is Little Rock versus Purdue in last year's NCAA tournament. Higgins, their leading scorer, deep three. That's good! We're following the, uh, at the end of the Trojans' successful NCAA tournament victory, the first victory in a number of decades. They went on to defeat Purdue in overtime. Thanks a lot to Josh Higgins, who we'll hear right now. So, well, I didn't quite get the timing right. 
It's the end of the game. UALI is hitting a string of three points, sent him to overtime. The news here, though, is that Josh Hagens, first of all, uh, University of Arkansas at Little Rock, always known as UALR, is now rebranded as UA Little Rock. There we go. Josh Hagen's finally sends us to overtime in that NCAA game <laughs> last March. But uh, Hagen's big claim to fame is he's moving on to the NBA's developmental league, which is like minor leagues for baseball, but it's for the NBA. It's the NBA D League, and he moves on from playing in Bosnia Herzegovina on the Sarajevo team. Eastern Europe uh, has had a lot of good basketball players actually come to the NBA in recent years. So he's moving on to the D-League's team, the main Red Claws. They're an affiliate of the Boston Celtics. So we'll follow his career. Of course, uh, Derek Fisher who went on to win five NBA championships, most notably with the Lakers. Uh, he's got to be University of Arkansas at Little Rock's most heralded player of all time. We'll see how Josh Hagens does. He's playing pro basketball, not quite at the NBA level, but still professional basketball. All right, that was the week that was for KUAR's Week in Review podcast. Thanks for sharing your time with me. It was pretty lonely in the studio without Michael and Chris with me this time, but it wasn't so lonely since I knew you were listening. Thanks for listening. This is KUAR's Week in Review podcast by KUAR Public Radio. We're supported by listeners like you, UA Little Rock, and UAMS, though we're editorially independent. Have a good week.